Welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. And Jeremiah. Welcome back to another episode of Turn One, a Formula One podcast. We're your hosts, Jeremiah and Thomas. Today's episode is going to be all about <laughs> Red Bull. This is not sponsored yet, but it should be. <laughs> He's had that can off screen for the past ten episodes. <laughs> At least one right before we film. And hey, now we've got we've got decorations. Yeah, we've got hats and cars, you know. And we'll eventually make it to where you can actually see them. But <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, but today the the history of Red Bull. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Red Bull was actually founded in Taiwan. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, and it was I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was basically Taiwanese for Red Bull. <laughs> I really thought it was like Austrian or German. No. So Dietrich Mazischitz, I hope I'm pronouncing that wrong. Right. It could be. Um, He worked for a toothpaste company and flew over to Taiwan. And because it's a 12 hour flight, he had jet lag. So what does he buy when he's in Taiwan? He buys a whatever it was called at the time, Red Bull. Sure. (laughs) Uh, he liked it, liked it so much. He went into his meeting, uh, with the officials that he was trying to sell his brand to and nailed it so good and had so much energy that he decided that this needed to be shared everywhere. So he becomes a 50, 50 co-owner of Red Bull. Now Dietrich Mazachitz always had this affliction or affection towards motorsports. Okay. Always had a, a thing for it. Whenever he was a child, he even tried racing for a bit, and the racing career didn't uh, pan out. Um, hooks up with Helmut Marco, and goes in on the Sauber team at the time as a sponsor. With at the time they were sponsored with Petronas and Red Bull. Remember the cars from the uh, livery episode that we had? Yeah. Um, at the time, they wanted to. The problem was is that they wanted to pick their drivers. They wanted to have more of a say. And so they pitched their driver who they thought it would be. And instead, Sauber decided, hey, we're going to sign Kimi Raikkonen instead, which ended up pretty well. They finished in fourth. Not too, not so bad. But Massachusetts was like, no, we need to have total control. Just a quick aside. I find it really interesting how a lot of the, the people that run the teams, and you can go way back in Formula One on this if you're talking about Dietrich or how he brings in some team principles, which we're going to talk about, or any other teams – the people running the teams always kind of have that backstory of they were in racing, they wanted to be in racing, they are around racing, never really panned out, and they found another avenue into the sport, whether it be money or business acumen or technic ac- acumen. So you look at a guy like Christian Horner or Toto Wolf, they both tried racing. Yep. Wasn't really their thing. It was okay, but then they move into the operation side of things. You look at um, the former... Uh, Ferrari team principal, Matteo Bonato, a tech guy, right? Mm-hmm. Engineering background and all that brings that to run a team. It's never like 
Max Verstappen running the team. <laughs> no, no. But it is funny that you say that because I should back up a little bit so I can give some context. In 1985, Mateschitz hires, or not hires, signs Gerhard Berger as the first ever F1 sponsored driver. So that being said, now he leaves Sauber, uh, Mateschitz that is, and tries to start Red Bull ra- racing uh, in 2004. Five, four. Four. No, in 2004, Ford put Jaguar F1 up to sa- up for sale for a dollar. There we go. We could have gotten in on right, that. Right, right, right. We definitely could have been there. The only problem is, is that that comes with a promise of spending hundreds of millions <laughs> you gotta, of you dollars. You still got to fuel the team after that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, although with that, they tried to hire Gerhard Berger as the first ever team principal because of that first ever sponsorship. Didn't pan out uh, for whatever reason he wasn't interested. Boy, are they glad that didn't pan out. Yeah. So what instead happens is Helmut Marco, who is an F3000, which is F2 nowadays. It's the feeder series that fed into F1 at the time. Uh, He was a part of his own team down there in F3000. And so was Christian Horner. He managed his own team down in F3000. Young Christian Horner. Yeah, I think it was called Arden or something like that. I I don't know if I have that correct. I believe that's correct. Anyway... So Christian Horner needs a trailer for the team. So he goes and purchases one from Helmet Marco. They have their first interactions, first conversations, and Marco goes, you know what? You're all right. <laughs> How'd you like to be the F1 team principal Just of Red a, Bull Racing? A back alley Formula One deal <laughs> right? in the works. Regardless, though, Christian Horner obviously accepts becoming the youngest ever team principal at the time, and I think still currently, um, as far as F1 team principals go. Yeah, like current, not like, youngest like, as in like not he's the youngest now, but he's right, still but holds, still nobody's. Been I can't think F1. of anybody younger that's been exactly. Hired. I, I will say it's interesting that this all happened in the mid aughts, right? Like the mid two thousands. This isn't the nineteen fifties, sixties, or seventies no. where there isn't anybody with experience in this, and you're having to go look for young people. To do. This was the mid two thousands where they hired the young guy with hardly he he'd only been running that F three thousand or been in managing sports for about four or five years at that point he started in like um, late nineties was it yeah before that he was a driver trying right. to make it and so to hire a guy to run what is essentially the pinnacle of the sport in terms of teams that amount of money that's a crazy big decision. Oh, yeah. But, you know, at the time, Red Bull were pushing this whole young mantra thing where we're partiers, we're young, we're hungry. And so they went with the young, hungry partier, Christian Horner. There we go. The guy that marries a Spice Girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what who what else says party than marrying a Spice Girl? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Christian Horner becomes the youngest ever team principal. And the first drivers for Red Bull are David Coulthard and Christian Klein. Uh, they only finished sixth in their first year. However, it's not bad. It's not bad. And I, I think that takes me into, if you don't mind, my my points on on new teams in Formula One. And we've really only seen in our lifetime uh, two new teams, right? Right. There's been a couple name changes here or there, but the teams itself stay the same. Uh, Red Bull joins the Formula One grid in 2005. Mercedes They've been in Formula One for a long time as like a technical partner, engine provider, but they joined as a constructor in 2010. 
they both uh, got off to really good starts. In oh, the sport. yeah. I mean, any team that can, you know, they join the grid and then within the next five, six years, yeah. win a championship. If you're winning within a decade, which they both were doing easily, I mean, like you said, within four to six years, depending on what you're looking at, they're winning championships and not only winning championships, but dominating oh, season yeah. after. Like Red Bull won four in a row, right? Oh, yeah. And we'll get to that. And then, uh, and then Mercedes wins six in mm-hmm. a row, right? So. You have these two new teams, and I just don't think that we see this in other sports. And me and Jeremiah were talking before this started just about our, our other sports. Like the NFL had a big expansion era, right? You had like the Jacksonville Jaguars come out of that and all that. They're still not great. No. It takes like decade, like 20, 30 years to build a program. Um, Major League Baseball had the same thing. The closest we could see to something remotely similar was in the the NHL in hockey, when the Vegas Golden Knights were created, but they had these really obscure draft rules where teams couldn't protect anybody. So the Vegas Golden Knights were instantly good, but they were only good for a season or two. They weren't winning championships time after time within a decade. No, but they're still competing towards the top. And I think that's kind of goes along the lines of what we're talking about. In a a sport as historic as Formula One, where you have, you know, Ferrari, Williams, McLaren, all these big time names and the two newest teams are the ones killing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've got the most fire behind them. They've got the best drivers, the best management, and obviously the best staff in terms of mechanically. Yeah, which I think you're going to get to how they're the best mechanically. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of the best mechanically, in 2006, they bring on, or I'm sorry, at the end of 2005, they bring on Adrian Newey. Stolen from McLaren. Stolen from McLaren. And you know what? This proves to be probably the best decision in terms of car development that Red Bull had. Yep. I mean, granted, it didn't kick off and immediately jump off winning, but the very next year, 2006, Red Bull gets their first podium in Monaco by Mr. David Coulthard. Yeah, so that takes me into into one of my points, and I'll save the driver one for later, but Red Bull essentially money-whipped the sport. <laughs> Not so much with the Christian Horner hire. They got lucky, I think, with the Christian sure. Horner hire, but the fact that they were bringing in uh, these uh, young, promising drivers they had the the team, like you said, Adrian Newey. They had the the people. They had Helmut Marco. They were saying, we're coming in guns blazing, spending all of Red Bull and our sponsors' money to make <laughs> a competitor quickly. And I think that's the only way you can do it. You can't come in and be a fledgling middle-of-the-pack or backmarker team, right? You're not going to make it. No. You've, if, you're, if you've got the resources and the money, you need to come in with that because that's what's going to get you to championship status. Yeah, what happened is, is they set the principle. They sent the principle that here at Red Bull, we're about winning and we're about being quick. So they made their changes. They hired all these new young guys who are quick. They hired these brilliant minds in mechanical departments. They hired uh, Christian Horner, who is this young, brilliant mind in terms of managing a team. And that's the direction that they took. It's kind of been their mantra this whole time. Yeah. Uh, Coming up after that, we've got... 2007 bringing in Mark Weber, which is unfortunately going to bring the end of Christian Klein. Um, I'll make my driver point here and then I want to go back one year to something. Uh, they've made really good driver decisions. So part one was bringing Mark Weber, uh, Mark Weber, obviously starting with David and Christian, they were younger at the time, like mm-hmm. promising drivers, but I think they started to notice when they brought in Weber, Hey, we need a balance of young aggression and experience in tenure. And that kind of starts down the path of Red Bull having, uh, Weber, Vettel, Ricardo. Verstappen in there you have your mix of young aggression 
sure. an old tenured experience. And then they experiment with guys like Ga- Gasly, Albon, Daniel Kvyat. Um, the best example is how they're running the team right now. You have Max Verstappen, who's stu- he'll stu- who is still super young, super aggressive, obviously two-time world champion. And then you have his counterpart, Sergio Perez, who is the tenured experience. You know he can get points. You know he can win if he needs to. But he's not going to get in the way of your young superstar. Right. And with that, Red Bull has found a model, much like Mercedes carried with Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg and Lewis and Valtteri, that just works. Yeah, and to that point, because you mentioned that, I do want to mention something that I did skip over accidentally that is a huge, huge deal in the Red Bull development. In 2006... In 2000 and yeah, I skipped over it. In 2006, Red Bull buys Minardi, which brings forth Toro Rosso. The start of the Red Bull Driving Academy, essentially. Yeah, and then, of course, from the Drivers Academy, we have the likes of Vettel coming through, Ricardo came through, Max Verstappen came through, Carlos Sainz came through, Pierre Gasly came through, Alex Albon came through. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest dominant Yuki. The, oh, the grid is all Red Bull. It's all Red Bull drivers. And they they looked at Formula One and they said, you know what? We've got this one team figured out. How do we make this one team better? Let's just buy another team on the yeah. grid and yeah. use that to practice. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring in the young guns. And if they're hot, we'll bring them up. And if they're not, they're going to stay right that there. That is the <laughs> definition of money whipping. They just said, we'll buy a whole other team just for practice. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Well, 2009, David Coulthard leaves a team bringing in the... Toro Rosso driver Sebastian Vettel, who won a race for Toro Rosso. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because he won a race for the B team, which means that in that race, he beat the two drivers yep. on the A team. Yep. You look at, like, I'll say modern days, this was only, you know, 12, 13 years ago, but Pierre Gasly won in that Alpha Tari, but it was a race just marked by tons of DNFs and red flags and collisions. I think that was at Monza, right? Yeah. Uh, is one of the Italian Grand Prix, and so to win in the B team car, whether it be Toro Rosso or Alfatari, either a lot has to go right for you, or you have to be really good. Yeah. I think Sebastian Vettel was really good. I think he was very good, <laughs> considering that year with the Sebastian Vettel and David Coulthard team up, the team finishes second in the constructors championship. Second, yeah. So now we have starting in 2006 when they first enter, they came in in sixth. And now we have them in 2009 finishing second in the constructors, chomping at the bit. And, you know, I'm going to bring a point up here because Braun beat them. And Jensen Button, I believe, was a champion for that year. If that whole dynamic didn't exist, Sebastian Vettel gets his first driver's championship in 2009. I look back at the we've we've called out maybe four or five big decisions that Red Bull Racing has made since they since they started and I wonder if when, obviously they think that that's the right move at the time, but they look back at, at hiring Christian Horner. They look back at bringing over um, uh, Adrian Newey. They look at bringing in the young Sebastian Vettel. Did they ever think it would turn into what it turned into? There's not a chance. Actually, I take that back. I don't think Mattishitz and Helmut Marco would have done this if they didn't believe that their vision was that strong. Right. Maybe... I think my only my only thing would be if you're doing this and you're you're throwing all this money at it, the 
there is an element of luck to all of this. Sure. The fact that they're getting lucky on all of these decisions, but at the same time, there's a scouting process, there's a vetting process, sure. so they did their research. But the fact that it just happens so quick. Yeah, within like the span it, of five, in, six in years. In four to five years, you have a, uh, a three-time, uh, four-time champion on your driving roster, and you didn't even know it when you started in the sport. Which brings us to our next point. We're now leaving the whole beginning stages and entering the next stage of Red Bull's life, which is dominance. Yeah. So at this point, Sebastian Vettel, from 2010 until 2013, wins every single driver's championship. Yep. He was the probably the first dominant driver since Schumacher. Right. And I rest my case in the fact that in 2009, if Sebastian Vettel had won, we're talking about five years of Red Bull dominance, of Sebastian Vettel dominance. If you're somebody like us that just came to the sport in the last couple of seasons or last couple of years, you looked at Sebastian Vettel, especially last year, as on a retirement tour, um, kind of the old, wise, nice guy. He was showing Mick Schumacher around the track because him and his dad were friends. And you didn't, you didn't piece together that that guy is a multi-time champion, could have been a five-time champion if some, some stars aligned for him. But he was the guy in the 2010 to to 2014 range. Oh, yeah. Right before Lewis Hamilton and right after Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel made his stamp as the He was the Lewis Hamilton of the time. Yeah, 100%. With Lewis Hamilton winning, what was it, five, six championships? Yeah. Granted, there's a Nico Rosberg in there somewhere. However... Sebastian Vettel, four straight, nobody touched him. In that first one, it was close. In that first one, I believe he was actually either fourth or fifth in the standings up until that last race. And in the last race, he passes the finish line, and that's when the whole team was like, okay, it's looking good, but we have to wait for everybody to finish. And then as people are coming across the line, he's like, you know, Lewis Hamilton, third, or whatever it was, and Fernando Alonso, second, or whatever it was. And then it gets to, he's like, hold on. And then it's just silence. And you can feel this anticipation building. And then it's, I think he goes, du bist Weltmeister, which is you are world champion. That is goosebumps. Because then you hear Sebastian Vettel basically breaking down in his car. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome, especially their first one. I don't think they ever take it for granted, but like you see Lewis winning his seventh, <laughs> and it it's not the same as the first. No. Uh, and then I, I think the second is also just as important because you 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 did something that hardly anybody's ever done. You know, sure. winning back not back. only two but winning back to back, and you're just now proving at this point that you're dominant. I think we're getting to that era with Max coming up on his potential third. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's but that first one. Something no, about that, it. That's ridiculous. Uh, after that, the rule change in 2014, taking everybody's engines from the V8s down to the V6s. And they just did not get that car. I won't say they didn't get it right. Mercedes cracked the code. They did. But I, the reason why I won't say that Red Bull didn't get it right is because they finished second. Yeah. So you take good. Mercedes out of that equation, they're still the dominant car on the track. I think they looked at that too as a, a time to fully rebuild because that's also when their driving their driver lineup starts changing for the mm-hmm. first time in a while. Yeah, 2014 brings in Daniel Ricardo, who's going to replace Mark Webber. So now you're looking at a Sebastian Vettel and Daniel Ricardo team up, and it was honestly that's a great setup. It is. That's where you have the obviously multiple time world champion with the experience paired up with the young up-and-comer driver. Right, and at the time, Daniel Ricciardo was winning several races and it was you know, it was looking good for him. It was looking like he could potentially be the next number one at Red Bull. Yep. 
until 2016, where we bring in the young Max Verstappen straight out of Toro Rosso, upgraded to the Red Bull team. And what does he do in his first race with Red Bull? Just wins. Yeah, you know, something light, something <laughs> casual. Just wins the race, you know, nothing major. It that's like whenever you get um, like NFL players that that are drafted out of college or free agents, and they get to their first day like in uh, you know off season training for the NFL, and they just get popped in the mouth. And oh they're, yeah, they're like I can't compete with these guys. No, he just goes out there and suddenly the best driver there ever was. Max goes out there and just starts <laughs> popping everybody in the mouth. <laughs> hey. This is my country. I'm now. 17 and I'm here to win. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> uh, so Max Verstappen gets called up to the Red Bull A team where he wins his first race. And things are looking really good for Red Bull. I, I want to say around this time from 2014 to 2016, they're teetering around second and third, kind of trading off positions with the other top teams. Never getting first. That spot is reserved strictly for Mercedes, yep. unfortunately, in for this Lewis era. Lewis or Nico. Right. So 2019, we have Daniel Ricciardo leaving Red Bull to make the jump to Renault. Now, there's controversy here because yeah. we don't know. The way that Daniel said it was basically, I just need a different look. I need a new team. I need a new look. I need a new car to just do things differently. Now, how the rest of the F1 community saw it was, oh, my gosh, here's Max Verstappen. I'm out of here. Okay. I got a couple things. Um one, let's clarify, Daniel Ricardo definitely left on his own. He was made what we understand as a good offer by Red Bull. Christian Horner thought mm-hmm. it was a done deal. Christian Horner thought they were keeping yeah. Daniel Ricardo. Um, Daniel Ricardo chooses to leave to go to, to Renault, who at the time, Renault was the engine provider for Red Bull. And I'll get into some engine stuff in a second. But Renault engines were trash in this period of <laughs> F1. And when I say this period, I mean like the 20, like essentially after the the rule changes happened when Vettel won his last championship up until Ricardo chose to leave, the Renault engines have just dove off a cliff. That is not where I thought you were going with this. Well, so hang on. So he chooses, Daniel Ricardo chooses to leave, and I want to bring up a hypothetical. He goes to Renault, who they hated at the time because they couldn't finish a race. Part mm-hmm. of Daniel Ricardo's woes at Red Bull was he couldn't finish a race. The car kept breaking. What if he had stayed and Red Bull makes the switches to, to Honda engines with Daniel Ricciardo in the seat? I've played with this in my mind for several, several years now. And I genuinely think that these two are going to would be duking it out. I mean, would it be a would it be a Lewis Nico situation where they can trade off championships or would see, they would they hurt each other? But see who's Lewis and who's Nico. Because obviously we have Max Verstappen's dominance, but that's as the Red Bull car evolves. Now imagine Max never gets to Red Bull and it's Daniel Ricciardo, who is a very good driver so, in that Red Bull car. So let's go back. Let's go back four years earlier. Let's say this is, uh, what year was, was Ricciardo brought in? 2014. <clears throat> let's say that Red Bull cracked the code like Mercedes did on the new car and they just kept winning. With Sebastian and Daniel? Yeah. Would Max even be on the team? He would be in Toro Rosso. But whether or not he gets moved and up, would Daniel Ricardo be a seven-time world champion? Okay, maybe not seven-time, but <laughs> but I would. But you get like yes. there was a lot that happened in that 2014 to 2016 or 2019 stretch that shaped Red Bull probably for the better going Max Verstappen. But if they had just done a little bit better with that car when the regulations changed, if they had just switched off Renault engines a little bit earlier. 
I wonder. It's the things that we'll never know. That is interesting. Um, I want to tie in one more point with uh, we. I've mentioned here that Red Bull's made really good hiring decisions. Jeremiah obviously brought up the tech hires, the principal hire, the the sponsorship that they've gotten, the drivers that they've gotten. They've made really good engine decisions, and and they started out with Cosworth for their first uh, year where they got everybody was running at the time, right? But then they go to Ferrari engines they had both the red bull team and at the time the toro rosso team on the ferrari engines which again at the time really good engines mm-hmm. ferrari's always had a decent engine recently they've struggled for reliability but the engine's always been fast then they when ferrari starts to dip they go to reno reno's where they have their dominance right, right. with vettel winning everything the second reno has two bad years as an engine manufacturer we're going to Honda. <laughs> yeah. The one team that, if I'm not mistaken at the time, wasn't a provider for anybody. No, this was a, a shot in the dark by As Red a matter Bull. of fact, wasn't Toro Rosso still on Renault yeah. for that first season? So there is controversy with Toro Rosso being on Ferrari and Renault um, separately from the Red Bull team mm-hmm. because they were under contracts. And basically Red Bull was dipping on the contracts, <laughs> but they were, they always left Toro Rosso on the original contract. Just to see. Well, not just to see. They don't want to pay the balance oh, of the contract. Okay, yeah. So they pay the balance or they would fight a lawsuit over the Red Bull team, but they would leave Toro Rosso. That's why Toro Rosso has always kind of been different than them. I think they're all now on Honda, but looking at the future, they're making another move. They're going to Red Bull powertrains slash Ford. Right. So Red Bull powertrains is something that's actually been in development since I want to say 2020 or 2021, one of the two. And this is their attempt to kind of become a works team. They want to not only, because the deal is, is if you're buying an engine from somewhere else, you're building a car around the engine. You're limited by someone other than you. But if you're a works team, you're building an engine to match the car. Yep. And that is beautiful because imagine Imagine a Red Bull car that's built so much better than all the others. We know this already because it's already dominating. But imagine it's strictly a Red Bull engine and they can morph it to the car better. So they can change the shape of their car, maybe get some aerodynamic benefits, maybe get some weight reduction. Yep. That is scary. Now, granted, Honda doesn't have a team on the grid, so they're they're okay there. But you look at the other teams that buy engines, Alfa Romeo and Haas will never be competitive with a Ferrari car. Why? No. Because they're buying a Ferrari engine that is made for that Ferrari car. Right. Um, uh, Williams and who's the other Mercedes? Aston Martin will never be competitive. Hang on. I'm getting there. Okay. With the Mercedes car, except now we're somehow seeing Aston Martin do it. So I have some questions with that. But you look at every year prior and right. they were a backmarker team just like everybody else. So I don't know what Aston Martin's doing. I'm not going to get into that, but it's going to be interesting to see Red Bull make this massive jump to their own manufacturing with a technical partner. Now, we should probably be clear with this. You mentioned the technical partner. That's Ford. Right. We, that hasn't been introduced yet. It has been talked about <clears throat> and it has been speculated, but we don't know for certain that that's going to happen because it's not written in stone. It's not a guarantee. It hasn't happened yet. It's been tossed around of Audi and Porsche and Ford and then just Red Bull powertrains. So we'll see where it settles. Um, I think it leans forward, but ultimately it's a big move because that Honda engine is a beast. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and they're still with Honda for now. Yeah. It's, it's, it is Red Bull powertrains. I mean, let me be clear. It is Red Bull powertrains already, but it is within conjunction with Honda. Honda. That's why there's a big Honda sticker on the back of the car. Right. And that's why it'll be in conjunction with Ford when Ford, if that is the deal that they chose, when Ford comes to the team. 
It's yep. going to be Ford and Red Bull powertrains. So all this ties back to you. What if they switched to Honda before Daniel Ricciardo left? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that would be magical. I'd like to see it. I really would because I genuinely believe that Daniel Ricciardo in that Red Bull is on par, if not maybe a hundredth of a second behind Max Verstappen, if even that much. I, I, I'm not saying I want Max or Sergio to miss a race in 2023. I do. <laughs> but if they do, we will get to see Daniel Ricardo in a Honda-powered Red Bull car. I want to see if Max goes out, Daniel destroy Sergio. And if Sergio goes out, I want to see Max and Daniel duking it out for that first He sets the Coda track record. Yeah, <laughs> like just something wild, like out of left field. We've seen all this poor performance from Daniel, from Renault, and then going to McLaren for those two seasons. What if he just comes into a Red Bull, hops in that car, and just destroys? Man. All right, you want to move on into the... Uh, COVID and post-COVID era? <laughs> yeah, so, t- so 2019, we see Daniel Ricciardo leaving for Renault. We discussed that already. His replacement, Pierre Gasly, who comes up from that Toro Rosso, which I think at the time made the change to somewhere Alfa in there. Tari. I didn't get the exact It was 2019-2020 they I made that change. I want to say it's 2019. Uh, and he was good. Oh, yeah. Pierre Gasly was good. But at at Alfa Tari Toro Rosso. Yes. However, once he got to that Red Bull car, he just couldn't get it in the podium, but not even the podium. He was finished like sixth or seventh. They were, Red Bull was looking for Max to take over as the dominant number one driver, which he, he was, he wasn't beating Lewis at the time yet regularly. Uh, He wasn't even beating Valtteri regularly at the time yet. And I think Red Bull, we brought this up before. I think they jumped the gun on trying to get that next younger driver in that seat too soon. It, it wasn't time for Pierre to fill that seat. I think you just give Pierre one more year at AlphaTauri because we saw what he did when he went back. Yeah, well, yeah. You give him a little more time. He needed more time. Right. Let's get let's get into that though because we're talking about him going back to AlphaTauri. But right now, what they know is that he's on Red Bull. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but so he's only on Red Bull for half a season. Half a season. So Pierre Gasly doesn't measure up. They drop him back down to AlphaTauri and they bring up Alex Albon. And the way that Christian Horner explained this, he said, we are testing both drivers to see who pairs better with Max. I call that's bogus. They they saw that Pierre Gasly wasn't getting them the results. They made the decision halfway through that season that they were fully switching to Alex Albon. Why? Because Alex Albon did about the same as Pierre Gasly, yet he had the seat for the next year. Yes. So, that being said, with the even trade between Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon, you don't really see much from Red Bull that year. And going into 2020, a little more of the same. We have Alex Albon finishing. uh, I don't remember where he finished, but I know that he had the seat for the entire year. He had the seat for the whole year. He got points, but again, it wasn't... They were looking for a Valtteri Botas. (laughs) Exactly. And they weren't going to get it in those two guys uh, yet. They needed more time at that B team. Right. So, where do they look? They look to the Force India race winner... Yep. In 2020, Sergio Perez. I think that one win showed them all they needed to see. All they needed to see, because it showed two things. One, he has the potential to win if they absolutely need to. In a in a midfield car. Right. And two, the fact that he wasn't on a front-running team tells them that Max is going to be their driver number one. However, right. this gives them the ability to have a number two who would be a number one at any other backmarker or middle-of-the-pack team. And is not going to get in the way of Max. And is a race winner. It was so, a great move going to Sergio. Like I, I don't, I can't emphasize it enough that we've seen the two teams do it recently: of Mercedes and Red Bull doing the whole clear number one driver and then the number two driver that can get results. That was the move they needed to make. There was probably other drivers out there. I'm trying to think of who they could have gone to at the time. 
maybe they could have gone back to Daniel Ricardo. I mean, um, they could have. Fernando Alonso would be too, too, I'll, I'll use the word hot-headed, but that would not have meshed well with Max. They might have been able to take Carlos from McLaren at the time. Yeah, you're not going to get Valtteri Botas. So, I mean, Perez, there's maybe two or three options, but Perez was a proven race winner at a midfield team, and they knew that he would take team orders stepping out of the way of Max. But just like Botas had done for four years with Lewis, if they need you to win a race because Max doesn't finish, go win the race. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the strategy that they've been trying to develop this entire time. Like, obviously, when it first started with Daniel, uh, David Coulthard and Mark Webber, it's kind of an even trade-off. I mean, they they were pretty much the same person in terms of performance-wise. But then we see, you know, it brings in Sebastian Vettel. And it's, okay, now we're going to put all the cards on Sebastian Vettel. And Mark Webber's going to be sitting there doing, essentially, the Sergio Perez can we go back real quick to, to 2013, 2014? Okay. Vettel left to go to Ferrari. We never mentioned that. Yeah, but it was within reason. I mean, in 2014, it was Daniel and Sebastian. And at the time, and even to an extent still, but at the time, any driver who gets the opportunity to go drive for Ferrari right. is basically like performing on the best team, even Did, though it's not. I We weren't following the sport, obviously, at the time. Did Red Bull think Vettel, because he was so dominant there, was there long term? Did they make him an offer that they thought, just like the Daniel Ricciardo situation, did they think that he was there to stay? And so they were pairing up Daniel Ricciardo, the young up-and-coming driver, with the experienced multi-time champion Sebastian Vettel, and then all of that fell apart when Vettel goes. I'm going to add in a little bit more to that. Please. I don't know exactly the answer to that specific question in regards to how did the contract negotiations go. But I will say this. During this period of time, Sebastian Vettel was looked at as a villain. He was one of the most hated people on the grid. If you win, you're a villain. Well, I don't know what that is because it wasn't even just a Red Bull. Even when he went to Ferrari, he was still one of the lesser liked drivers on the entire grid. Now, whether that be, I don't, I don't know what his antics were on team radios or anything like that, or if he had said anything in post-race interviews or something that just rubbed people the wrong way. But he was, make no mistake, he was a villain in this time frame. So some clarity from our friends at Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> Vettel announced before the end of the 2014 season that he would be joining Ferrari. That was one year before his contract was going to expire with Red Bull. So Red Bull wasn't even negotiating with him at this time. He just said that he wanted to go drive for Ferrari. Red Bull did not grant him that early release, but they also didn't take any legal action against him. So basically they said, hey, you can't leave. And then he's like, I'm going to leave. And they were like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so, so that kind of ties into my point earlier in that Ferrari at the time was seen like, okay, if you were to put it in terms of the NFL, playing or driving for Ferrari would be like, in terms of media-wise, exposure-wise, and money-wise, playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Now, it's actually almost an identical, I mean, transfer, because you've got the Dallas Cowboys not winning, Ferrari not, not winning, win, but, but still both of them a brand. seen as the marketing pinnacle yep. of their respective sports. Yep. So that's kind of why we saw Sebastian Vettel leave for Ferrari. They gave him the chance after four years of dominance, and he was like, you know what? Red Bull didn't really figure out this V6. I'm going to jump ship. Didn't really pan out, but it probably was. It was probably going to be the same result at Red Bull either way. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at the era from that time, Ferrari, neither Ferrari nor Red Bull were anywhere near Mercedes. So the idea that he was going to leave Red Bull and then go to Ferrari and all of a sudden start winning, not so much. Yeah. All right, modern day Red Bull, 22 and 23. No, 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 sir. Oh, what did I miss? 2021. Oh, sorry. 
the first year. <laughs> <laughs> so, they so no, I don't count that. They didn't win the constructors. Doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Red Bull history episode, not a Max Verstappen. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, so 2010 to 2013, we see dominance. That's the that's the name of that of Red Bull's kind of era in that area of time. That moves into kind of like where you piddle around second, third. It's kind of like it a, was their rebuilding era. Yeah, rebuilding, climbing back to the top. So now we're bringing in 2021, where it is Red Bull throwing their name back in the ring as one of the top contenders with a good driver lineup for the first time in a while. No changes. You've got a car that is fast. I mean, yeah, we've got Max Verstappen and, like we talked about, Sergio Perez. So in comes the two, and we saw how that kind of played out. Sergio replaces Alex Albon. Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez take this thing all the way to Abu Dhabi at the very end of the year, where Lewis Hamilton, make no mistake, has been leading this entire time. But here comes Max Verstappen, the final race of the season. They're this close in points. I mean, they're neck and neck. And it all comes down to this final race. They're tied. And more specifically, 395 and a half. One lap. The showdown. And I feel like we've covered that enough. We, we kind of know. We kind of know how that plays out. But... Alex Albon's replacement, Sergio Perez, blocks Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, able to catch up. Safety car, they release the people in between them. So now it's Lewis, Max right behind him on fresher tires. Max on new tires, Lewis on old tires. Right, and enter the new era of Red Bull dominance with Max Verstappen's first driver's championship. Yep. Now we should be clear, like you stated, they did not win the Constructors Championship. That is because Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton and that Mercedes car was just way too much to handle in terms of the whole season long. Yep. Now Max was able to compete with that, but maybe not so much Sergio Perez. And because of no. that, you're lacking in points in that area. Lewis had too many points for a driver that normally finishes in the number two spot. They're normally not that close at the end of the year. Like usually the driver winning driver championship has it in hand by the right. time they get to the last race. And so the fact that they were tied, it really came down to the number two drivers. And while we've mentioned Sergio Perez is really good, Valtteri Botas and that Mercedes was still a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, he was coming from that Williams that was a really good car, and he was a really good driver, which is why he, Mercedes He might have been a world seat. champion if Lewis wasn't there. I, yeah, I could definitely see that. He won enough races on his own. Oh, sure. I mean, he was a really good driver. I personally think so. We see how he's doing at Alfa Romeo, where he's still doing pretty good. He gets in the points for a team that doesn't get in the points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, so that ends 2021. Red Bull back on top for a driver's championship, not so much constructor's championship. Enter 2022. Now, at the beginning of the season, it was kind of like a Red Bull-Ferrari shootout. I was concerned that... Not concerned. I... I we all have our biases. I, I like Red Bull, but I, I was Ferrari came out of nowhere oh, <laughs> in twenty twenty two, and they won the first three races of twenty twenty two, and you thought they're that's it. Yeah, it's and their you had season DNFs coming from Red Bull because their reliability wasn't anything. They both dropped out of uh, the Bahrain the first race of the year, and you're like, well, this is the end of Red Bull racing. <laughs> They had one good year. And then and then the script flipped. I think Red Bull figured it out, and also Ferrari just forgot how to be a Formula One team. <laughs> and they essentially, I mean, they ran away with 2022. Oh, yeah. By the end of the season, it wasn't even close. No. I mean, you had, you had Ferrari's number one driver, Charles, in a heated battle with the Red Bull number two, Sergio Perez. It was really close. 
<laughs> it came down to the last race. It was it was the first time, obviously, that we were watching a season. We brought that up before, but also Max was running away with races, not by like where you see them come around the final turn and then eight seconds later you see Lewis Hamilton. No, no, no. Like forty five seconds running oh, away with ridiculous. Like half a lap to hold like he was he was lapping his way back up to like the top five oh, yeah. of races. He was trying to double win. <laughs> Not only am I in first, but every single car behind me that's had is to have happened. down a lot. That's had to have happened, right? Where the the leader has a time posted it, and everybody else below them says plus one. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Because no driver has ever gone from the very last position on the grid to the very first position on the grid. So how could the first driver lap all the cars and get back in first? He got close. <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing with you there. But that kind of brings us into our point about 2022 is the fact that, I mean, Red Bull dominated. So, of course, now we see Max Verstappen win the Drivers' Championship again, number two. And we see Red Bull finally, finally top the charts, winning that Constructors' Championship for the first time since 2013 with Sebastian Vettel and Daniel Ricciardo. Or no, not Ricciardo, Mark Webber. You can see this if you watch Drivers' Survive or if you watch any of the the behind-the-scenes F1 content. Christian Horner obviously was beyond ecstatic when Max Verstappen won the the driver's championship like that that is a pinnacle on its own if you're the team principal and your driver is the best driver in the world but it's a whole different thing when your entire team has beaten every other team so thoroughly oh, yeah it was a different level of, of excitement from him because that's more of the Christian Horner show is running Red Bull to the Constructors Championship versus the Max Verstappen Championship. Sure. And I mean, of course, if they see that they're not going to win the Constructors, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that one of their drivers wins the Drivers' Championship, as any team principal would. But I think the level of, I don't want to say happiness, because I'm sure he was very happy, but the level of, I guess, the feeling of success when he finally was able to take Red Bull back to the top of the Constructors' chart. I mean, that's got to feel incredible. You've done it twice now. That's two different eras. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not just winning twice. Two different eras of winning twice. Oh, yeah. And that brings us into current season 2023. Yeah. Where I don't know about you. So. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Max is going to run away with the driver's championship. 100%. But. And they're probably going to run away with the constructors. 100%. But if Max and Sergio DNF, or if Sergio just falls off a cliff and has a horrible season, there is a chance Aston Martin and Mercedes, I think, are competitive. They're at least fighting for number two. That's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. But number one, if Red Bull just somehow fumbles, they they drop the ball, they, they can't figure it out, there's a chance they're fighting. But as it looks right now, they're running with it. I don't think they're running away with it as much as they did in 2022, though. Okay, let's kind of dissect this a little bit. So right now we have Red Bull with the one and two spot. And then I'm going to say the next ones follow Aston Martin with Fernando Alonso, then Mercedes, Mercedes, take your pick. They're interchangeable. And then Lance Stroll. So that being said, I don't see Aston Martin being able to catch Red Bull unless they're getting too split. Exactly. (laughs) Unless Lance starts beating the Mercedes. Or you really need to have the two and three to be competitive with the one, not the two and four or five right and the same goes with mercedes if they can't beat fernando alonso how can they hope to catch max verstappen now granted you can talk about the australian grand prix that just happened where we saw lewis hamilton beat fernando alonso taking that second spot but that's one race yep if we're talking about the three that have been present so far they can't beat that aston martin no i'm 
we got a long way to go. Uh, right now, as we're recording this, we are in the break um, between the Australian Grand Prix and what's next? Dude, I have no idea. <laughs> I was not expecting like you to a, say that. There's like a month-long <laughs> break in April that is uh, really long because the Chinese Grand Prix was, was canceled. Oh, the next one's my favorite. Azerbaijan. Oh, Baku. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as we're, as we're recording this, we're, we're in this break right now where we've only seen the first four races of the year, right? Three. Three races of the year. And so there's a long way to go. There's still 20, well, still 19 more races yeah, to go. We're not going to see the next race also until the 30th. And given that today at the day of filming this, it's the 12th, we've got a long way to go. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, that's going to be it for the history of Red Bull guys. We hope that you really enjoyed that kind of historical content coming yeah. from us. Uh, we do want to apologize for not posting anything last week. We had some personal problems. Um, you can blame me for being sick and not having a voice. <laughs> I was just going to give you personal problems. They didn't have to know, but that's okay. <laughs> I could have come on, but I would have just been sitting here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there while I'm talking. Just nodding. <laughs> Uh, so we do want to apologize for that. We're going to be continuing our steady uh, posting schedule of giving you content every single Friday and then Mondays after races. Uh, if there's anything about this uh, Red Bull racing that we kind of missed or if there's anything that you wish that we had touched on and maybe we can pick it up in another episode or if there's anything that we just had flat out wrong. If you work for Red Bull Racing and want to come on and talk hot takes with us, please do. <laughs> <laughs> we would love that. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. We, we we highly encourage the feedback. We've gotten a couple of comments on our YouTube videos so far. We've gotten a couple of comments on our TikTok page as well. Uh, be sure to follow us at Turn One Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. We're trying to keep up our content posting there. Um, also, be on the lookout for some potential future F1 2022 streams. Yeah, we might be trying that out in the future, uh, running our new Xbox uh, wheel rigs that we've got. Uh, it won't look pretty, but, but it'll get it done. <laughs> we might. We, we may say something funny. <laughs> I think that's what everybody would be tuning in for is to hear what we'd have to say. I don't think you want to see this racing. No. Uh, but, yeah, that's all we've got. We, we appreciate the feedback and, and y'all watching and listening. But with that, we will see you. Bye, guys. <laughs>